Charles and Julie. We are in Isaiah chapter 14 today. We're making a long, slow journey uh, through the book of Isaiah. And uh, some of it's a little difficult, like today's chapter, but we'll see, uh, we'll see what we can do. Uh, remember, as we've been reading so far in Isaiah, there's a lot of uh, prophecy about Assyria coming down into Israel. There's a lot of prophecy about Babylon coming over into Judah and so forth. And these uh, destruction, really, of the political systems of the Jews and all this kind of stuff. And then it's interspersed with... uh, Messianic hope and eschatological hope and uh, good things in the future for God's people and all, all of these kind of things. So it's kind of going back and forth. So uh, here we go with chapter 14, verse 1. For the Lord will have compassion on Jacob and will again choose Israel and will set them in their own land. And sojourners will join them and will attach themselves to the house of Jacob. And the peoples will take them and bring them to their place. And the house of Israel will possess them in the Lord's land as male and female slaves. They will take captive those who were their captors and rule over those who oppressed them. So uh, this is a prophecy not only about the exile, but about the return uh, of Israel back, back into Jerusalem and so forth. So it goes on with this kind of prophecy. Um, verse 2 the nation's pride is passing but the glory of Israel's God is unending verse 2 says and the peoples will take them and bring them to their place and the house of Israel will possess them in the Lord's land as male and female slaves so uh, yes Babylon will rise and defeat Jacob but then Babylon's going to fall so as it goes on and on, uh, as the scripture says, the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. His kingdom never ends. Uh, so all these gods that uh, are the gods of these other nations, these gods are also defeated, like Marduk and Baal, you've read about in the scripture, and Chemosh is another one, the gods, the so-called gods of these nations. And as Craig or one mentioned last week, it, these pagan battles it was almost my god versus your god and whoever wins well their god is the stronger Uh, so uh all of these gods are dead but yahweh the god of israel lives on the kingdoms of assyria and babylon are no more but the people of israel live on so great verses three and four um When the Lord has given you rest from your pain and turmoil and the hard service with which you were made to serve, you will take up this taunt against the king of Babylon. Now, here we go. So, this is the taunt against the king of Babylon. Um, Let's see what we can do with this. Uh, Well, let let me just go ahead and, and, and say this here since we get into this whatever, this song against the king of Babylon. Uh, The church fathers saw this almost uniformly as a taunt against Satan, really, is the way they saw it. The reformers 
Protestants, mm -hmm. almost universally saw this as a taunt against the king of Babylon only. And a lot of modern interpreters see this as a taunt against the king of Babylon only. So we want, we want to read a little bit here and think about this. Okay, uh, verse 3. When the Lord has given you rest from your pain and turmoil and the hard service with which you were made to serve, you will take up this taunt against the king of Babylon. How the oppressor has ceased, the insolent fury ceased. The Lord has broken the staff of the wicked, the scepter of rulers that struck the peoples in wrath with unceasing blows that rule the nations in anger with unrelenting persecution. The whole earth is at rest and quiet. They break forth into singing. The cypresses rejoice at you, the cedars of Lebanon, saying, since you were laid low, no woodcutter comes up against us. Remember this kind of motif that Isaiah has used about the trees and the stumps and so forth, right? So here it is again, the trees. I mean... You know, this is poetry, I mean. You know, the trees are rejoicing, as in Lebanon's rejoicing because Babylon's been defeated, right? Lebanon's rejoicing. All right. And this almost sounds like Tolkien, you know, and these battles with the trees walking everywhere. And, I just whispered the marching against. No, it's like the ants, you know, and uh, they hate it when the woodcutters come in, man, and begin to lay them low, so, I mean. Just kind of anticipated <clears throat> in Isaiah here. Uh, verse 9. Sheol beneath is stirred up to meet you when you come. It rouses the shades to greet you. All who are leaders of the earth, it raises from their thrones. All who are kings of the nations, all of them will answer and say, You too have become weak as we. You too have become like us. Your pomp is brought down to Sheol, the sound of your harps. Maggots are laid as a bed beneath you, and worms are your covers. Well, I would admit, I'm, this sounds like a taunt against the king of Babylon here to me. But <clears throat> the problem, well, it's not a problem, but the uh, thing to contemplate here, I think, is verse 12 and following. <clears throat> verse 12. <laughs> How you are fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, uh, o, or O day star, son of the dawn, says my translation. Uh, how you are cut down to the ground, who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, here we go, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will, set, I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Okay, but you were brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit, etc. So, I mean, in terms of my understanding, in those verses, yes, against the king of Babylon, but it seems like Satan is being brought in here too, as uh, the king of Babylon sort of represents Satan. And then we have these words like, you know, how you were fallen from heaven and so forth. Uh, I think maybe Greg mentioned last week or in Revelation, I mean, you see this. I mean, you see this language and so forth about the devil and so on. So, <clears throat> let's talk about this a little bit here. Uh, I suspect probably there's, a, there's some pagan mythology involved here. Not that the writers of the Bible are pagans, but they may use various kind of motifs and so forth. Uh, <clears throat> the word here 
in Hebrew about this uh, day star, or maybe son of the dawn, I don't remember which, is really the verb halal, which means to shine in Hebrew. So probably a good translation is, O shining one. <laughs> and as Connor did some good work when he was working here in Isaiah, well, these fiery ones, I mean, a lot of times these are strong demons and stuff that rule nations and all this kind of stuff. Okay, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I, it seems right. Uh, <clears throat> modern interpreters are pretty strong here <clears throat> that this does not refer to Satan. I, I really don't exactly see why. Uh, some interpreters do see a reference to Satan. We are stuck in our English vocabulary <clears throat> with the word Lucifer as a name for the devil. We can thank our friend Jerome, who translated the Bible into Latin. It's called the Vulgate, who came up with this nifty name here in this passage. So this shining one, Jerome translates as Lucifer, uh, or it means light bearer is what it means. And so this was Jerome. Uh, but we've, we've got it now in the language and we're not able to get rid of it. Let's read a little bit about what Jerome said. Jim, if you would, uh, look, uh, I'll read it if you've, if you've got that. I forgot my phone this morning, but uh, Jim and I have a, a, an app here. It's called Katana. And it, it's got the whole Bible on it. But it's got all kind of comments by the church fathers on, on all these verses of the Bible. I mean, it's really pretty neat. So if you'd like it, Jim can show you this here. This is Jerome now. He's the translator of the Bible into Latin. It's called the Vulgate, right? So this is Jerome. Uh, and he says, Lucifer fell. Lucifer who used to rise at dawn and who was raised in a paradise of delight had the well-earned sentence passed upon him. Though you exalt yourself as the eagle, and though you set your nest among the stars, thence I will bring you down, says the Lord. For he had said in his heart, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God, and I will be like the Most High. Well, I mean, this makes sense to me that this is talking about Satan here. Jerome also says, For greater ease of understanding, we translated this phrase as follows, How you have fallen from heaven. Lucifer, who arose in the morning. But if we were to render a literal translation from the Hebrew, it would read, How you have fallen from heaven, howling son of the dawn. Howling son howling. of the dawn. <laughs> howling? Howling. S-O-N? Howl. Howl. S-O-N? Son. Yeah, S-O-N. I don't know where he gets howling. Okay. Mm-hmm. Lucifer is also signified with other words. And he who was formerly so glorious that he was compared to a bearer of lightning is now told that he must weep and mourn, just as Lucifer scatters the darkness. It says, glowing and shining with a golden hue. So also your stepping forth to the peoples and the public seemed like a shining star. But you who spoke with arrogance, who wounded the nations, fell to earth. I have obtained so great a power that heaven should stand still before me and the stars above deserve to be thrown under my feet. Nevertheless, the Jews wanted to be understood as the heaven and stars of God. Inasmuch as it continues, I will sit in the mount of the covenant, that is, in the temple where the laws of God are hidden, and on the sides of the north, that is, Jerusalem, 
for it is written, Mount Zion, the sides of the north. Nor was his pride satisfied with desire for the heavens, but it would break forth with such madness that he would claim for himself likeness to God. Well, I mean, I don't understand everything Jerome is saying here. Pass it back down to Jim, please. But, I mean, I, it does seem right to me that this must be talking about Satan. So, I'm going to let you weigh in here. We'll start with Connor, who has probably done some work on this. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is in Revelation, Christ claims this title for himself. Well, the, some, uh, which one? The Morning Star. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, what was originally a title for one of his servants, you remember in Isaiah 6, the dragons are just serving God. That's, yeah, that's yeah. their whole purpose. Yeah, yeah. Right? So, what was originally a title for a servant of God, Christ says, he, he claims it for himself. Okay. Um, so, in Revelation, Christ is the He is the bright morning star. That is yeah. true. Uh this is the first star of the morning, right, Venus? Venus. Yes, yeah. yes, Venus. Yes, yes. That's true. Okay. Why is Christ called that? Is Satan like a pretender being described here this way? Or? He's a usurper. He's, he's, he's called the angel of light, too. Yeah, that's true, too. Yeah. And so, yeah. He's like an angel of light. Yeah, I mean, that's why it seems to me this is talking symbolically about Satan because Babylon is just used as such a symbol of the world system throughout Scripture, you know. Craig, you had something to say. Well, I, I think this whole whole passage uh, kind of represents Babylon and Satan as being two sides of the same coin. Wow. And you see in Daniel's vision that the statue, the golden head, is Babylon. That's that's the times of the Gentiles at its highest peak. Yeah. And after that, it's just a long, slow degradation into finally judgment. Yeah. Um, so Babylon goes down along along with Satan. Uh, and, and this term Lucifer, this may be a mockery also. Uh, yeah. This, this may, may be a, a, yes. a sarcastic. It could be tongue in cheek. Yes. He tried to elevate himself. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. It could be that way. There's this thing throughout Scripture about the people of God becoming like the stars. Yeah. Paul talks about the people of God as they're being persecuted, shining as lights in the world. God tells Abraham that his descendants are going to be like the stars. And we think that that is talking about the quantity of them. You're not going to be able to count them. But I think it also has something to do with quality. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the realm of the angels is in some mysterious way the inheritance of God's people. Mm-hmm. Right? And we... It, it's hard to even talk about it because we don't even know what that means. Right? Yeah, I like the stars. But, but it, it says clearly in the New Testament that we will judge the angels. Yeah. Right? So... So there is sort of this inheritance wow. of, you know, as, as we are in Christ and as Christ reigns over everything, we somehow are participating in this great reigning over even yeah. the principalities. Wow, amazing. Wow, you're right. Well, okay. Well, here we are so far. <laughs> Can I ask? Sure. Uh, do, does anybody know, do the demons and Satan, do they possess people or do they suggest things to them and then the person in their sin runs with it. Is that it? Yes. 
Yeah. <laughs> both, both, probably. Both, both, both probably. Well, yeah, there, there are people here who have seen demon possession and been part of exorcisms. Uh, so that's definitely a thing. They see it more in the third world than here uh, for some reason. Maybe it's just hidden, more hidden. Mm -hmm. Well, there's a difference between possession and oppression. I think oppression you see a lot more here, but possession is like a different animal. Uh, my theory, and this is only my opinion, but uh, I don't think you can, a person can be possessed by a demon unless they invite them in uh, through occultism or drug use or uh, perhaps, yeah. perhaps a weakness like mental illness that isn't really the person's fault. Yeah. How did God speak to Cain? He said, uh, sin is at the door, but you must rule it. Yeah. Indeed. In that way. <clears throat> All right. So far, then. Let me, yes, go ahead, Charles, please. please. Uh, without consulting uh, a lot of commentators, please. I've always looked at this and seen that <clears throat> behind the statements about, um, about the king of Babylon, um, you do see the power that's at work behind Babylon. Yeah. Just saying, yes. You know, John, <clears throat> I think. 39 or somewhere in there says the whole world lies in the lap of the evil one. Wow. If you're not a Christian, then you had it. <laughs> you're in the power of the evil one. Second Timothy wow. 2 Timothy 2:24-26 talks about how the Lord has to give us repentance to escape from the snare of the devil. Yeah. Having been held captive by him to do his will. Yeah. And you look in Job at the Sabaeans and the Chaldeans who attacked Job, and of course they thought they were doing what they wanted to do, but they were doing exactly what Satan told them to do. And um, you know, we have kind of a background understanding that the world lies in the lap of the evil one. Uh, these people who have their power in the world, uh, it's often the power of Satan that has gotten yeah. into that position and given yeah. them that power and that influence. And so when you talk about people, and it doesn't have to be the king of Babylon, I'm also thinking of the passage, I think, in Ezekiel, we talked about the king of Tyre, yep. in a similar way, and it sounds like he's talking about Satan there. Yeah, also, indeed. when you look at these men, same as the Sabaeans and the Chaldeans and Job's day, uh, you see human responsibility, but then back of that, you see there's minions of Satan. Yeah, and yeah. Satan's moving the strings on these guys. And so, you know, he's no, talking I, about the king of Babylon, but back of him, we know. It's got to be the devil, yeah. You're right. Yeah, wow. and the Chaldeans were for Babylon. That, that was That's right, territory. that's right. That was their territory. And you can go back yeah. to the Tower of Babel in Shinar. Yeah. Uh, that's in, you know, this thing about where you tried to elevate yourself to the level of God. Yeah. The tower. It all fits. But at the end... They will have no excuse. They won't be able to say the devil made me do it. No. At some point, you know, they take whatever this possession does and they run with it. Yeah, and they have their own motives. That's true. Which are sinful. The Chaldeans didn't say, we don't want to do this, Joe, but you know, we have to. Uh, they did it because they, they wanted the, the, the camels and the donkeys and the well. They had their own motives that they brought to play, just like Judas did too. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thus far about Satan and the king of Babylon, 
verses 19 through 21, to me, sound more like the king of Babylon. But as you're saying, I mean, this is all sort of intertwined here. 19. But you are cast out away from your grave like a loathed branch, clothed with the slain, those pierced by the sword who go down to the stones of the pit like a dead body trampled underfoot. You will not be joined with them in burial because you have destroyed your land. You have slain your people. May the offspring of evildoers never be named. Prepare slaughter for his sons because of the guilt of their fathers, lest they rise and possess the earth and fill the face of the world with cities. Uh, Okay. Well, sounds like the king of Babylon. Uh, Verse 22. I will rise up against them, declares the Lord of hosts. I will cut off from Babylon name and remnant, descendants and posterity, says the Lord, and I will make it a possession of the hedgehog and pools of water, and I will sweep it with the broom of destruction, declares the Lord. Uh, Well, I got ahead of myself a little bit. Uh, If someone would look up Revelation 12, 7, we've been quoting that a lot. Uh, pretty much. It does sound like, yeah, you know, this fall of of Satan from heaven. It's so easy to say Lucifer, I mean, you know, that's just in the in the vocabulary, but Jerome invented it. Anybody got that? Go ahead, Jim. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought on his angels. Yeah. So there's war in heaven and Satan's cast out and so forth. So it sounds like a lot of this, you know, I've stood in my heart, I will ascend and all this, and then he's cast out. So it sounds similar. All right. Let's go to verse 24. The oracle concerning Assyria. I'll read 24 through 27. <coughs> Hey, hey, Walt, yes. before you get that far, please. Um, in 23, uh, when he says, I will make the possession of the hedgehog, is he just being, it's going to be like, you know, they're going to tunnel under, you know, on the ground and mess all the crops up? And what is that? Yeah, probably. Well, you remember last week, or maybe, well, last week uh, we had that. Uh, Oh, another prophecy that Babylon would never be inhabited again once it's destroyed. And I had a picture I passed around of downtown Babylon today, and it is a ruin. (laughs) It's a total ruin uh, without inhabitants, so I think that's what it means. Probably hedgehogs might be running around down there. (laughs) The King James calls them bitterns. Bitterns. Which means porcupine, apparently. There you go. Porcupines. Porcupines. Okay, verse 24. The Lord of hosts is sworn, as I have planned, so shall it be. As I have purposed, so shall it stand. That I will break the Assyrian in my land, and on my mountains trample him underfoot, and his yoke shall depart from them, and his burden from their shoulder. This is the purpose that is purposed concerning the whole earth. And this is the hand that is stretched out over all the nations. For the Lord of hosts is purposed, and who will annul it? His hand is stretched out, and who will turn it back? So 
God has a purpose for the nations, as he says in other places, and we'll read it here in a second, that God has established their boundaries, but he has a purpose. So let's read. This is one of Greg's favorite verses, so let's read it. In Acts 17, beginning with verse 22. You know, he has a purpose for our country. He's established his boundaries. Mm-hmm. Amidst all the good things and bad things we might experience. Uh, so, Acts 17, beginning with verse 22. This is Paul uh, on Mars Hill in Athens with the philosophers. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind, that would be Adam, to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling places. Interesting. And again, Connor's done some work on this too. These areas, you know, these boundaries where people live and so forth, different languages and all that. That they should seek God. Yeah. And the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. Yet, he is actually not far from each of us. For in him we live and move and have our being... That's from a pagan poet, Epimenides. For even as some of your own poets have said, for we indeed are his offspring. Uh, Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that a divine being is like gold or silver or stone. So he's beginning to evangelize these people here. You know, your thinking is wrong about God. Uh, He's not a rock, okay? He's, He's something else. Uh, you know, this, this touches on the law of cause and effect. Okay. We are the effect of the A cause. The, the law says no effect can be greater than its cause. There you go. And so the world should, should wonder, you got a point. what is this cause? You this got person? a point. Yeah. Uh, not silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God has overlooked, but now he commands people everywhere to repent. Because he is fixed today on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So Paul puts the snake on the table here. I mean, this is the crux of the matter. This is the crux of the matter. God raised Jesus from the dead. Now the liberals say that yes, there is a spiritual resurrection in the hearts of the disciples from Jesus. We believe in the resurrection of the dead. They don't believe in the resurrection of the dead because God raised Jesus' body from the dead. That's the resurrection from the dead. Would you agree with that, Charles? (laughs) Charles is in the faith, so he agrees. Now, when they heard of the resurrection, listen to this. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. Well, welcome to today's world. Uh, but others said, we will hear you again about this matter. We'll hear more about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed. 
Among them were Dionysius the Areopagite and a woman named Damaris and others. So, uh, yeah, God has established... God's given us all these different cultures, you know, these cultures and languages. I mean, they're so different. And I I don't know how many language, spoken languages are in the world. It, 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 Charles, you may know, 7,000 or something like that. I mean, these languages, man... And uh, some of them are, uh, a lot of them are radically different from each other. But just, so just because you know Latin doesn't mean you can just pick up this other language over here that doesn't have any Latin base to it, I mean. Uh, wow. So he's given us all these cultures that we might seek for God. And Paul lays the snake on the table by saying that the God we're seeking for is the one who rose from the dead. Yes. <clears throat> This is uh, this is just speculation, and I could be completely off base here. But in my own sort of thinking about this stuff, um, you know, it says somewhere in the New Testament that the mystery of what God is doing with the gospel, angels long to look into it. Yes. Right. It's a mystery, and they have a hard time comprehending. You know, even they have a hard time comprehending what God is doing. Um, the angels seem to have a particular fascination with the body, right? The desire to possess, the desire to tempt humans to bodily sins. And I, I, I think... You're talking that, about the angelic demons here, right? Yes, yeah. yes. Particularly the, the, particularly the fallen ones who have you know, gone outside their purview. And I think, I think, I think that's... I think that's part of their desire to understand the mystery is they're trying to sort of claim this for themselves trying to trying to take the body and um, almost claim it in a way yeah in a way that's only reserved for Christ right mm-hmm. possession Beautiful. is is it, possession is sort of a twisting of the mystery of resurrection mm-hmm. right because mm-hmm. it's a taking wow. of the body mm-hmm. and okay. trying to wow. yeah. yeah very good our, interesting our, very good our redemption is in the incarnation yeah. Which angels cannot take part in. Yeah. They have no body. Yeah. So possession may be kind of a lame attempt at, at cashing in on the incarnation. And, and also the filling of the Holy Spirit. Has, yeah. Yeah. has yeah. anyone ever, uh, because there's a Bible verse that says that angels were bound uh, in, uh, I guess, Sheol until the end. So are the demons different than the angels? Is there a separate group? Or did some of them get bound and others not? There's a difference. There's There's a great gulf fixed between them. You know, I'm just thinking two things there. Connor's uh, remarks here which I love. But, uh, you know, it's a place in Scripture where the demons speak. uh, And they refer to Jesus as Lord. Why why are you coming to torture us before our time? And even uh, another place in Scripture where the demons believe and they fear and tremble. They know they're doing it sure. There are a difference in the good angels and the demons. Yeah. Well, the demons in the, in the demoniac or demoniac, demoniac. <laughs> yeah. uh, beg, beg Christ not to send them into the pit. <laughs> they fear the pit. Yeah. And this, again, this is just my speculation, but we talked on Wednesday nights about something changed with angels where at one point they were able to rebel against God, then in the Gospels they are bound to obey Christ. Mm -hmm. And it may have been, again, this is just weird speculation, there may have been a broker deal, and I think it probably happened at the flood, that 
God kind of made a kind of broke a deal. You you give up your free will or you go into the pit. Mm. And some chose the pit, others chose uh, forced obedience. Mm. And those are the, the, the demons that still roam the earth. Mm. And then the ones in the pit, we see them released in Revelation. The ones in the pit are where are where Christ shows himself, according to Peter. Mm -hmm. um, and apparently the pit is released or opened up in, in Revelation at the end time. That's this is all speculation. These are heavy wa heavy waters, Craig. Indeed. We're not we're not very well prepared to talk about this stuff. No. In our we're in not. our culture, no, our materialistic culture, no, we have not. no but we're we're way out of our depth here. No, yeah. there's, there's, a, there's a study called angelology. Certainly. Yeah, it's a whole study. Yeah. Oh, but, but, but like the ancient cultures, this stuff, they saw this stuff all over the place. There were fairies and demons and spirits all over the place. Gentry. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, let's continue in verse 28 of Isaiah 14 then. Uh, in the year that King Ahaz died came this oracle. Uh, remember, Ahaz had been uh, king of Judah, and he made a pact with Assyria to help against Israel. And uh, uh, he made a pact with Assyria to help against Israel and Syria. Uh, okay, well, anyway, that's a little background. Uh, Twenty-nine. Rejoice not, O Philistia, all of you, that the rod that struck you is broken. For from the serpent's root will come forth an adder, and its fruit will be a flying, fiery serpent. And the firstborn of the poor will graze, and the needy lie down in safety. But I will kill your root with famine, and your remnant it will, it will slay. This is, yeah, this is Philistia then. Wail, O gate, cry out, O city, melt in fear, O Philistia, all of you. For smoke comes out of the north, and there is no straggler in his ranks. What will one answer the messengers of the nation. The Lord has founded Zion, and in her, her the afflicted of his people, find refuge. Uh, so, verse 29, Rejoice not, O Philistia, etc. Uh, Assyria was becoming weaker at this time, but Assyria was not dead. And uh, so, eventually, they, they come down and do damage here in Israel and so forth. Uh, Israel held out or excuse me Jerusalem held out against Assyria and was not taken in this assault by Assyria um, okay verse 32 the Lord has founded Zion and in her the afflicted of his people find refuge the point is that the Lord has founded Zion and it provides a refuge for his people. And this is what the prophets are trying to tell these kings all the time. You know, don't be afraid of this one. I mean, the Lord's going to protect you. You know, he'll not come in here. But when it's time for the Babylonian captivity to happen, then the prophets give the correct prophetic message, which is you need to surrender in order to preserve your lives. Because everyone is going away into Babylon. This is what God says. So, trust God, trust God, trust God. Jerusalem's not taken. But now, Jerusalem's going to be taken by Babylon. This is God's word. Listen to what I'm saying. Very few listen to what Jeremiah and Isaiah were saying. 
about this matter and so on. So, uh, wow. Well, this is all I have for today. So uh, I believe we are done a little early today. But uh, thank you, thank you for your attention. And uh, if we uh, want to do some more heavy uh, uh, investigation into angels and demons, you can talk with uh, Craig and Connor at that point. <laughs>